All right, so today on Ben Climate Presents, we are presenting the Porsche lifestyle with none other than Ferdy Porsche. What's up? So, pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you. So I would say if there's somebody that understands what the Porsche lifestyle means, it's you. I mean, I've got introduced to it at a very young age. We used to spend almost every summer holiday somewhere where my dad could combine it with a, with a Porsche parade or a club or yeah. a dealer to visit. So... Um, yeah, this whole nerdiness about the brand and the the excitement around it and and just understanding how involved people are with it and how they make it their own and how it's generational and, and how it's always like a father and son or a right. daughter. And it's like almost always the full the, the whole family is involved. Right. So I got introduced to this pretty at an early age. And at one point I said, okay, I probably have to know more about these things as well. <laughs> because you kind of, I mean, you, you obviously pick up things, but um, when I got older, people expected me to know um, what car this is and what it does, etc. And I think at that point, it was already way too late anyways, and I was infected already. Yeah. And I think for, for the, the, the readers and listeners at home, so you guys did a, a Talking Watches with James Stacey, who's right behind the camera right there, about a year ago. And I think, you know, everyone was so impressed with your love for, for watches and kind of the, the great history. And I think if, if you're okay with it, maybe just kind of tell, tell the viewers exactly your relationship to, to the, the, the Porsche legacy, who, who your father is, who your grandfather was, et cetera, mm-hmm. if that's okay. So my grandfather was Ferry Porsche, who founded Porsche. Right. Um, and my father is Wolfgang Porsche, who is um, the chairman of the board. Right. Um, and I'm me. <laughs> <laughs> I do all sorts of things in the car world, and I'm an architect by trade. Right. Um, but obviously, um, talking about watches, my my uncle plays a big role. Right. Um, he was the designer of the 911. Right. His name was also Ferdinand, um, so F.A. Porsche. Um, and he, when he left the company in Stuttgart, he went out to start Porsche Design. Right. And, and did the first black watch in 72, um, and the first titanium watch. Um, and yeah, just experimented with watches. And I think like the car, I mean, obviously it took a lot of inspiration from the car. So sure. it was the first black watch because the, the dial in the car or the dash in the, in the car was also black and white for readability and functionality first. Right. Um, and I think that inspired him. And I think he was someone who always pushed for the next thing. So I think one watch wasn't even out on the market yet. He started doing the next one. Yeah. Um, and he was a very chill guy. He lived in Salamzee. He liked hunting. He was... Um, a big nature lover mm-hmm. and a very calm guy. I could use some of that. But <laughs> we all could. Can't have it all. That's right. Yeah. I, I think the, the the thing that I always think about when I tell people about Porsche design, mm-hmm. and I, I own more than one Porsche design, you know, Colonel Ones, is, I mean, that the, the fact that your uncle designed the 911, the 904, mm-hmm. I think, and this watch. I mean, I think like provides such like a great uh, clarity of lineage of like what this product means to, to probably your family, but also to kind of like the, the greater ecosystem of design. I think sometimes people don't understand the, the quite literal direct connection between Porsche, the, the automobile manufacturer and Porsche design. Mm-hmm. And it's, it seems like it in, you know, with, with your kind of uh, introduction to the world at large, I would say, it seems like there's a much greater clarity of connection between Porsche and Porsche design. Is, is that purposeful? I think it's 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 also because it's um, because Porsche has decided to make the watches themselves nowadays again. So in the beginning it was Orfina and IWC and all these other brands who manufactured the the watches for us. And um, since a couple of years we have our own manufacturing. It's a it's a small place still in Solothurn in Switzerland. And I think um, also from the from the company there's more. They I think they realize okay we have something really special there and we should probably highlight it more and bring it back to life and. Um, I mean, just 
also looking at what else is there apart from just Chrono One. I mean, there's the Compass Watch, there's the Ocean, there's the Titanium one. So there's a lot of cool things in the portfolio yeah. that will probably um, come back over the next few years. And I'm very excited to be a part of it. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think um, so. In the end, it's I'm also a bit lucky to be to be at, there at the right time. And with Ice Race being in Cell as well, so that's the event I started five years ago. Yeah. Um, Porsche Design was right around the corner. Obviously, at a race, you need a timing partner. And sure. so I went over. I, I knew the guys from before um, because I did an internship there when I was still in my university days. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So the, the relationship got together. The, the relationship be- between Porsche and Porsche Design. And, and again, may- maybe I just, it, 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 sometimes I find it a little bit confusing about like, does Porsche own Porsche Design or what is the exact yeah. connection? They do. Yeah, they do. Okay. After my uncle passed away, um, the company bought it back. Okay, got it. And so Porsche owns Porsche Design, but it's its own entity inside. So we still have the, the design office in Cell, mm-hmm. which is exactly where my uncle went after he left the company in 72 um, to start his own thing. Because he liked Cell, he grew up there. As I said, he was a nature guy. And and I think the the, the design studio was was in GQ back then. I think it was GQ as one of the most, in 70-something, yeah. as one of the most fun and and progressive design studios in the world. And you have all these pictures of like, I think five or six, seven guys standing there and like just having the best time. I think yeah. they, they did all sorts of things. I, I think they were working like four days a week only. And sure. They were, I, I think they really had a good time back then. Right. Uh, obviously building models and everything in this little studio there. Yeah. So what were some of the things that, that maybe your uncle or your family is kind of most proud of from Porsche Design beyond the, the watch? I think beyond the watch, so he basically looked at objects, whatever they were, and tried to make them better in a way. So there is obviously also always a personal connection to him. So for example, he loved smoking pipe. So there is a pipe um, that he designed that is actually also really cool and also has a connection to the car. And then there's the sunglasses, mm-hmm. which I'm a big fan of. And I know that Kim Kardashian wears them all the time, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And But originally, Yoko Ono made them famous. Um, it's the face shield ones. Mm-hmm. But there is also one where you can change the, where you can um, change or super easily change the the glasses, yeah. um, the shades basically, for whatever, um, for whatever situation you're in. And also, I don't know, there's skiing gear as well. Yeah. Uh, also with Oakley, I think back in the day. So there's a lot of cool stuff um, that is in the archives, and um, and that I think we will bring back in the in the in the next years. Yeah. When, when I was 18 years old, this is a true story. I, I, I've never smoked cigarettes in my life. Like it's just not something I did, but I loved Porsche design titanium lighters. Yeah. And I used to buy them on eBay of yeah. all places when I was like 18, 19 years old all the time. I had like probably five of them. Yeah. I just thought they were like really, they were not super expensive and they were really beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And I just, I still have a few of them now. Uh, and it's amazing. Like when you look through the Porsche design catalog, so many little objects like that, that like at least in my, my case, I wasn't necessary at all. Like I didn't yeah. need a lighter, but like I just thought it was such a cool thing. It was yeah. affordable to me at the time, yeah. and it, uh, it was just something I wanted to have. Yeah, there's also the pens, and yeah. then there's the shaking pen where you where you go like this, and then the pen comes out of the of its case. Yeah, and there's a lot of like cool, fun, and like really well made, um, detail oriented yeah. uh, things. Yeah. Um, in the catalog. Yeah. And so the, the the watch that you're wearing here is a special edition of of the Chrono One. Yes. Can we talk about this one? Yeah, we can. So um, what is it? I mean, so it's a prototype. Okay. Um, it will come out at the end of this year. Okay. Um, it's the re-edition of the military. So back in the days of the chrono, there was another or, or a part of the chronographs where it were made specifically for the military. So there's for the German military, for the U.S. Army, for, yeah. 
UAE Air Force, literally for almost every military on the planet. Um, I think because obviously functionality and readability was was uh, so well or so good. Yeah. And that's why it, it, it got adapted, obviously. Um, and the, one of the most famous ones is the is the U.S. Air Force Tiger um, military edition, which had like a little tiger, a little shouting tiger in, in, in at four o'clock. Um, and this is the re-edition of that. Mm. But it's a little marmot. It's a little mankai for our hut on Großglockner, which is like Großglockner is one of the best driving roads in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, it was built back then because the Austrian emperor wanted a road to the highest so Excellent. mountain of, of Austria. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's, that's how, it, how it would go. And it's literally one of the best driving roads. And my, my grandfather used to test cars there. So there's also a connection to our family. That's how he discovered Cell mm -hmm. because Porsche back then was in Gmünd in, in Carinthia on the other side of Großglockner. And while testing brakes and how the car maneuvers yeah. um, on the road, he would discover Cell. And so I think it's a kind of a cool knot nowadays to the new utility, as we call it now. Yeah. And so, so tell us a little bit about kind of your, your day job, so to speak, with, with the ice yeah. race and as an architect. Yeah. Um, so I always had a passion for architecture. I was kind of thinking, do I do product design or architecture? But in the end, I went for architecture because I like the scale a lot. And I like that you could influence spaces and places and people. Um, and I really like my studies as well. I studied in Vienna. Um, met a bunch of cool people um, and we have an office now in Vienna as well where 10 people work on all sorts of projects from a little bar um, that has the best cocktails in Vienna I think all the way to um, a lung practice that we build now with with two apartments on top um, etc so there's also now our first project in the states um, and then by the side in the same office um, I I run Ice Race um, Actually, it's Fat International now, but it used to start out as Ice Race. It was more of a passion project back then. Mm -hmm. So um, they had the original Ice Races on the Frozen Lake in Cell from the 50s to the 70s. Right. Um, and I just, when I when I heard heard about that first and saw pictures, I, I just thought the vibe of it was so cool. And that it was everything that like young people would want in a car event these days. Because it's not so much about split seconds or anything. It's more about the people and the cars in the center but but in the end it's about the people having fun yeah. the aesthetics of it everything just pops better in white yeah so with a white background um and so we decided to bring it back so literally the first two years was more more of a can we do this can we actually get through with it and and literally bring that back um and that has developed more and more and um we looked for for something that would sit above that so now we have a restaurant our first location we do track days we do a bit of merch so basically, it's it's all that we like and enjoy. It's a bit like Houdinki, I think, for you. <laughs> so, something like that. Yeah, yeah we're working towards that. <clears throat> you guys are a bit bigger. Oh, but please. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like it's it's um, it's still something that I think people feel that it's um, out of enthusiasm and yeah. And I got to know so many cool people through this. Also, you guys. Sure. Again. Um and yeah, Fat International was just the perfect brand for it to sit on top of it. Yeah. They used to be a logistics company out of out of France and Germany, Français Allemand Transit, and they sponsored two Le Mans winning cars, 1994 and 1997, um, with a Porsche, um, and it just incorporates the whole coolness of 80s motorsports, yeah. and the name is good. It works in German, it, it works in English. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we have fun with that. Now. So let's paint a, a word picture, so to speak, of what the, the ice race really is. So it's like, it's like a 550 Spider. Pulling people on skis behind it on a frozen lake. 
Yes, that's what and it was more, back right? in the days. Right. That's what it was back in the days, and it still is some of that. We're not on a frozen lake anymore. Right. And um, we're on the airfield in Cell, uh, just for security reasons sure. also. Um, but it's still 550s. It's still people being towed behind um, on skis, which is um, dangerous. I actually tore my biceps doing it once. <laughs> um, but What car was pulling you at the time? Uh, a 953. So the Dakar winning 953. That was pretty, it was pretty epic, but, but it has a lot of power. So coming out of the corner, the, the rope that was where I was attached basically um, was not was not in tight. it was not tight enough so so it was the typical I don't know water skiing accident I think, <laughs> um, but you know you have to practice what you preach, so right. um, yeah that's ice race it's a festival around the car as a cultural icon every brand is welcome so it's not just five fifties it's a bit like back in the old days yeah um, a festival for the people in the car world but also for those beyond and visually it's, it's exciting and um, yes. So as, as somebody that, that's been, I can imagine or only assume that you've grown up around the greatest cars in the world, arguably, but when you go to the ice race, you probably see things that even you kind of have to step back and say, wow, like that is really a, a special thing to see. What I think is so cool that people actually do use them in the snow, right? Because I mean, growing up and also going to a lot of the clubs, but also so so auto, automobile clubs like uh, Porsche Club North America, et cetera, et cetera. I always, and also in Germany, I think the vibe of collecting um, was very much taking care of the pieces, being super, um, being super polite towards them in a sense. And the cool thing is that Ice Race, everybody brings their cars, no matter what they're worth. Right. There is something there. There is cheap things there. There is super expensive um, cars, but everybody treats them the way they're supposed to be treated. They use them. They drive them fast. They drive them with spike tires. Um, and it's kind of cool to see that um, no matter what the car is worth, um, everybody gets to enjoy it and. And everybody's just smiling when you when you have the snow in your face from the car that just drifts by. And what car do you bring to, to ice race typically? So funnily enough, I love driving a Taycan on the ice. Interesting. Um, because you have instant power all the time. You right. have a lot of power. You have four-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, you can take passengers. Um, and we also have our, our electric skier in class. So that's the most competitive of them all because we give um, all of the competitors in that class the same car. And they have the same track. So it's the only the only class in ice race where everybody gets the very same uh, starting position basically mm -hmm. um so i enjoy that but obviously also anything actually like i, I assume the new 911 dakar will be amazing on ice and uh, i can't wait to see that also the sterato lamborghini mm. so I, i'm very curious to see how many of those new uh, off-road editions we'll see at the next ice race. probably a few right i hope so yeah um so we're going to come back to cars for sure we'll probably end on cars just because i have so many questions to ask you about porsche in general but before we do that, let's talk a little bit about watches. So you showed us your, your collection, uh, you know, some really kind of personally important pieces, uh, the Cartier Crash, you know, some really special things. Yeah. Has anything come into the collection since then? Um, yes, I think that the, the newest edition after, or the, the edition that came right after Talking Watches, or almost right after, was the first Titanium Rolex. So you got that. The, yeah, I got that. Because I thought the, the, the connection to Porsche design was so cool. Because my uncle did a titanium watch 50 sure. years ago. Yeah. And it's cool that Rolex, the, arguably the biggest, the coolest, sure. the OG in watchmaking, yeah. um, goes to titanium so many years later yeah. and does it in such an extreme way. It's extreme. I mean, the watch is, I don't really wear it that much. It's but gigantic. When it's gigantic, yes. You can't wear it like underneath anything. It's a t-shirt watch, but it's obviously out there. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy it. Every time I wear it, um, I, I'm, I'm amazed by how light it is, obviously, yeah. obviously because of that. Yeah. Anything else uh, in the collection these days? 
Um, another Rolex that I got from my mom that is actually, I think, one of my favorite watches these days. What is it? Um, it's the Ruth Beer. Yeah. Solid gold. Rose gold. Rose gold. Yeah. Yes. Such a, such a cool watch. Yeah. Summer watch, obviously. I don't really wear that to work. It's more like a, I think I want to keep that like forever and yeah. like take care of it. Yeah. I mean, I think myself and, and, and many like me, I think would, would equate Rolex to, to Porsche in, in many ways, right? Uh, yeah. You know, some like purity of design, obviously technical excellence. You, you see that, I presume. I see that 100%. And I also think another connection between Rolex and Porsche is the approachability of the brand. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of people, the first um, watch that they buy if they achieve something great or if they achieve something in their in their career is a Rolex to, right. to manifest that. But it's also, um, they, they last a long time. They have a classic that evolves and evolves and evolves. Mm -hmm. The design language evolves more than they do something completely new. And, and that's why I think the titanium one was so special because it's something completely out of the box for them. Yeah. Um, you have the same thing with the 911 evolving over 60 years now. So yeah, I see this this comparison. Any, I like it. Any new Rolexes you have your have your eyes on? Um, obviously the Le Mans one I would oh, love yeah? to have. Yes. <laughs> you um, think you got one? Um, I don't know. I hope so. I think it might, I think it might work out. Um, the thing is, I mean, obviously with Porsche's history in Le Mans, it would be great to have that watch. I saw it in the wild twice already. At, at Rennsport? At Rennsport. One time at Rennsport yeah. and one time in Monza. Yeah. So two race events Makes where sense. it belongs. Yeah. But I just think um, it's one of the coolest and most special modern Rolexes ever. I, I want it bad. I really yeah. do. I don't have a Daytona. I never had one. So. Oh, man. You, um, you haven't lived. I haven't lived, apparently. <laughs> no, it's, uh, I mean, as I'm well documented, I'm a, I'm a Daytona lover. And this one this one hit, hit pretty hard, for sure. I've, I haven't been that excited about a new Rolex in a long time. For sure. Yeah. Still don't have it. So Rolex, if you see this, you know, give me a shout. Um, but no, that's Same. It. Yeah. <laughs> for both of us. You got two, two, uh, two friends right here. Um, but uh, no, that, that's, that's going to be a good one. And I, I was I, in Lamar when it came out. Sorry. No, no. I please. was in Lamar when it came out and everybody all of a sudden was on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> the everybody. race stopped. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. The race stopped for like a second and everybody was like, have you seen this? Oh my God. Yeah. And I yeah. was actually, I, I was not in Le Mans, but I was driving a Porsche actually truly with, with friends. Um, that weekend up in the Catskills, which is like a mountain yeah. range up here. And pretty much the same thing happened. We all kind of pulled over and just said, okay, like we all texted everybody we knew, and yeah. including James, who's behind the camera and wrote the story on it. So great job, James, on that. Uh, yeah, that is, that's kind of like a holy shit moment. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about this watch with, with, with John Mayer, who's obviously a huge you know, yeah. Rolex fan. And it's like the watch in some ways is almost like a, uh, you know, George Bamford, who I'm, I'm sure you met somewhere mm -hmm. along the way. It almost feels like a Bamford watch from like 10 years ago, like a 2008 Bamford Daytona or something like that. But like the fact that they made it is so crazy. The fact yeah. that they did the puzzle dial, like there's so many things that Rolex is doing now that like I just can't imagine Rolex of five years ago doing at all. I'm looking at James here. He's nodding. Uh, I mean, just wild stuff. And the, the Le Mans is, is right up there. Yeah, with the open case bag and just the history of it. Open case back the red the references and bezel. to like the Paul Newman the, ones. I mean, it's like and that. Everything is in there somehow. It's 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 bananas. Yeah, you know? As and somebody, James's article made me even more <laughs> like made me want it even more. That, that means I think James should get one too. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we just need to read exactly. Now it's uh, yeah, it's the I have it on some good authority, unofficially of course, mm -hmm. that it's going to be a very challenging one. I mean, we know it's all Rolexes are hard to get, but I think this one will be particularly hard to get for yeah. for most people. Which is a bummer because it's you know it's a great serially made watch, but uh, yeah, it's a special one for sure. I actually started out my my very first uh, proper watch was a um, was a Pepsi um, 
GMT. Um, but at the time, I, I, I didn't like I didn't dare to wear it much because I was still in school, um, and it never really made it on my wrist back then. Yeah. And then actually, that, that Porsche design changed that. Hmm. So my first Chrono one that I got um, two years later or one year later from my dad, that was the one that was the the watch that actually got me into wearing watches on a daily basis That's because I felt like it had the connection to my family. Sure. It was it was something um, that like just reminded me of this whole thing, but it was not flashy at all, and right. nobody really knew what it was. And um, so, yeah, I think that was the advantage of that Makes um, sense. back in the day. Makes sense. I, I think I think in many ways, Porsche and Rolex have kind of become, I, I, I don't want to say mainstream because that's not the right connotation in, in my mind. But so this is a 14270, you know, kind of you know, early uh, uh, Sapphire uh, Explorer. And this was not this one, but this reference was my first Rolex. And I remember thinking when I bought it with my own hard earned money that like, wow, like I'd made it because I had a Rolex. It cost me 2,500 bucks or something like that. But I was bashful about wearing it, you know, especially back home where I'm from, which is kind of a small town upstate. And now I know people that that are just so unabashed about their Rolex ownership mm-hmm. that it's like it really has changed. Like the, the the baseline of like luxury now is is Rolex. And I think to some degree, the same would be true with Porsche, with Boxster, you know, Taycan, Cayman, Cayenne, like all the all the other non nine eleven models have made uh, Porsche ownership kind of so much more approachable. Uh, in some way, yeah, I think luxury is cooler if it's approachable. Actually, yeah, um, I think um, that's what makes those two brands so cool. Like, in with, with Porsche, it's probably something like the nine twelve incorporates that perfectly. Right. People would take it; it's a smaller sort of entry model. They would make it, uh, put it, if, make it a different color, right. and make it make it sit lower to the ground, and make it quicker. So, I think that's that's the the beauty of of Porsche as a brand that everyone who owns one can make it their own or should make it their own so since, since you bring up the 912 i mean this is yeah. something I, i've truly always wanted to know this like the, the 912 you know in the vintage community is constructed the, the poor man's porsche i mean that was like the idea that you know it took the motor of the 356 you obviously know what it is um and how, how does how do you view it how does porsche themselves view the 912 that's a good question i mean i can answer that for me i think it's a cool it's it's the coolest thing i mean um, I think a lot of my dad, for example, had one before. Before, um, or I think it was his his first his first Porsche was a 912. Hmm. So it was an entry entry car in a sense. But I think it 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 added so much to the brand's reputation in a sense by by opening the brand up to to a younger and uh, to younger audience and an audience who could um, who could buy into the brand like this for the first time and obviously tweak it and. And put different engines in at one point. So I think a lot of 912s are 911s now, and right. and 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 so forth. There, there is kind of a whole like resto community around around 912s. Yeah, uh, and they're famously Jerry Seinfeld. I'm, I'm sure you've met somewhere along the way. Uh, I met him the first time last weekend. No kidding. Yes. Interesting. I feel like we would have known him for a, for a long time for some reason. Yeah. No, I met him at Rensport. How was talk, it? It was cool. It was with, with, together with my dad. Yeah. He asked my dad what his what his favorite car was. My dad said the 993 Turbo S. Um, he replied, "Too heavy." <laughs> no, but it was a it was a cool conversation. He's a very uh, fun guy. Obviously, grew up yeah. watching his stuff and yeah. and being a fan. But it was it was fun talking cars with him. He's a big 912 lover. I mean, he yeah. famously is, is loves the 912. Thinks yeah. it's among the best cars Porsche's yeah. ever made. His favorite car is a 550, though. Apparently, well, he said. I mean, you know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that, that's like. that's the real truth. Yeah, exactly. That's not to like. So since, since we have it here, we, we have to ask. Uh, you you grew up with access to or around all these 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 Porsches. Your favorite Porsche? 
it's difficult because I think every era has a, has one of my favorites. So I would say modern day, I must admit, I love the Taycan. I drive it on a daily basis. It's I my daily it's car. the coolest car to drive on a daily basis. Yeah. You arrive and you're more relaxed than when you get, get into the car. Somebody just said that. That guy. That guy said that to yeah. me less than an hour ago. Yeah. I love it. I love the looks of it. Yeah. I think it's so, it's so cool on the road. And then obviously every era, obviously I think you're you're uh, drawn towards the cars that you grow up in. So I love the 993 Turbo S that my dad talked about. It's the first car that I co-drove over 300 kph in with my dad going for like a boy's trip uh, on a weekend. That's amazing. I'm still sitting in the back because I was too small. It's a great car. It used to sit in the museum for a while as well. Yeah. Um, so he lends it every every now and then again, um, every now and then. And I think it's it's the greatest car. It has a little Christophorus uh, thing on the on the dash on on the side, um, next to the passenger seat. It smells amazing. It drives amazing. Um, I, I I drove the nine five nine the other day, and comparing this to the nine nine three Turbo S, it's crazy because actually the nine five nine, obviously being a hypercar or a supercar back in the days, the nine nine three Turbo S is kind of the better car to drive. It's I mean, simpler. it came quite a bit it's, later. Yeah, right? and a lot of it was based on the nine five nine. Yeah. You obviously yeah. know this. I'm saying this more for the, the folks over there. Yes. But, uh, but I mean, a lot of it came from that 959. Yeah. Yeah. And then what else? So like 550s, obviously, because of the ice race connection, because um, they're great cars to drive. Yeah. Also 718s, just because it's the, the next next generation of the 550. And it's only a few few years between those two, but the 718 drives so much better already. Does it really? It's such a more, like, it's so much quicker. Huh. It's crazy. The comparison of the two cars is, is really is really crazy and like shows how 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 the progress like but the, the, they're, they're both using the four cam like effectively the same motor obviously modified to some degree yeah I think it's it's first and foremost the ride and how how the car handles and the brakes are a little better I feel and I'm not sure but it feels like they got more out of the out of the engine as well interesting yeah interesting it, and it revs a bit higher where's the seventy three RS in all this the seventy three RS is an icon, I would say. Um, it's like the Paul Newman Daytona of Porsche. It is like the Paul Newman Daytona of Porsche, for sure. Um, I had a lot of fun in that car already. Um, it drives amazing. It's obviously the first fast Porsche car. And I think just its significance um, when you when you consider what came in the, in the racing um, because of it or what it was, the homologation car. In the end, it was a homologation car. So... Um, or at least some of them. I think there's 20 homologation cars of the Something. of the of the 2.7 RS, and then obviously the RSR is coming after that, and all of the all of the great Porsche race cars. I think it basically started, it kickstarted that whole thing, hmm. and I think it's a usable car that feels a bit like a race car. You could daily drive it in a sense, probably wouldn't. But yeah, I, I have several, not several, a small handful of friends that, that own them, and they always say. It's the last vintage car they would sell ever. Like if they only had one vintage car, it would yeah. be a 73 RS. That would be a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. I maybe would go for the 964 RS instead. European, obviously. A bit more usable. Yes. Yeah. Nine, six, I mean, 964s, I think you know. I, I really love the short wheelbase, like 65, 67S. Yeah. The 964s, which I've had, really remind me of those early short wheelbase cars. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big 964. Fan. Yeah. They're really great. I love them. Everything, like the design, this, the, the bucket seats in them. Like it's just more usable already. It's it, it works, but you sit in it in a nicer like you sit in it nicer, so it, it fits your body basically. It's like a it's like wearing a wearing a good suit. Yeah, yeah. And for for some of the the, the audience that is, is just getting into Porsche, yeah, where you would, should you should, you should <laughs> by the way at retail um, the um, 
where would you start on the journey? Like if, if you're, you know, if you're looking at a budget of below $30,000, something like that. Mm, boxers, original boxers maybe? Yeah, probably original boxers if you have some good driving roads around uh, around the back of your house or somewhere around your, er- your area. What I also really like is the 996s. Mm. I mean, they, they've been a sleeper for a long time. Yeah. I don't know where they stand price-wise right now, but I think maybe a little bit more. But I mean, still affordable. A little bit more, but I think things, yeah. it's probably one of the coolest ways to buy into the nine eleven. Um, the nine eleven as a thing. Yeah. Um, I love them. I also grew up in them. My dad had a, a yellow Turbo S that he sold to Michael Ballack, who was back then one of the best footballers and or soccer players in in Germany, which was so cool because he came collecting the car. Yeah. And I was the biggest Bayern. I am still a big Bayern fan, but I, I used to be completely nuts over it. Yeah. Um, and obviously I was ready, prepared. The football was already there. Yeah. And we played a little bit, which was fun. That's amazing. I was maybe 10 or so. It was cool. Got it. And if you, were, if you had to whittle the collection down to one, we'll say 911, what would yeah. it be? If you could only drive one 911 for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh, you, you, you. Um, probably a 991R. R. Yes. Because it's that one is really usable. You can drive it every day. It goes under the radar. If you don't know, you don't really know. Um, 500 horsepower, naturally aspirated, revs to almost 9,000. Um, sits on the road perfectly, looks great, um, sounds great. Yeah, that would probably be it. That's a good car. What about you? Uh, y- yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I think... If, if if I had to use it daily, it would, it would probably be some like a C two nine six four, yeah. Like just a car. That I, I had a really I had a Japanese market nine six four C two that you know I put the the Apple CarPlay in and like I really I drove it into the city all the time. I use that. I drove it in the winter. That is a great car. That's like not so expensive that you have to really be precious with it. But does yeah. it had an airbag, which is yeah. nice, you know. Um, that I, I really good addition. it is. Yeah, I really like that car. I had a I had a nine nine one GT three Touring, so kind of an R, you know, R ish. That I foolishly sold uh, and wish yeah. wish I hadn't. That was that's the best driving car I've ever driven, yeah. inclusive of all modern yeah. Ferraris and supercars, and that's just the yeah. perfect thing. Um, but yeah, that the the nine six four C two I think is uh, it's just as a guy that likes like I'm not like a speed guy. I'm much more of like a back roads kind of twisty kind of vibe guy. And I think the nine six four is just epic uh, for sure. I'd, I'd actually love to find a nine six four RS Touring. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's not that many of them, but that yeah. that's a car that I've always I've always wanted for sure. Because the, yeah. the seats are the the European seats are a little aggressive for me. Yeah. Um, I had the bucket seats in my GT three Touring, and I found them just in, getting in and out of the city and in and out. It was yeah. a little bit tough. Um, but yeah, the the Touring nine six four RS Euro. Would yeah, if the seat doesn't fit, it's always. Uh... It's always difficult to drive the cars. A friend of mine owns um, one of the works cars, nine sixty or nine fourteen sixes, uh, that drove the Rally Monte Carlo, and it has Gerard Larousse's seat in it. And I think the guy um, is tiny, and yeah. so you barely fit in into the car. It's cool that it's the the original sure. the original seat in it. And yeah. obviously, there are so many cool cool things with the car. So, for example, there is a there is a uh, a wooden like pick to like get rid of the snow in the tires if it, if it if it like collects in there like literally in the back of the car there are so many like that's a that's a great car that's crazy god I, I i like honestly i could just ask you about porsches all all day long but i won't do that for for your sake um i mean going through life uh you know as as kind of a you know really the physical embodiment of you know a legendary brand is it is it something that that you that you struggle with in any way is is there a, a pressure on you that that you feel sometimes that you is challenging or is it uh, is it all fun and games? 
in school, I found it a bit challenging every yeah. now and then. Because obviously, growing up, you don't really know so much. Or you don't even recognize that there is like a significance to it so much. Right. Um, but in school, growing up, like maybe from like 10 to 10, 11, 12 at that age, you kind of realize that for the teachers actually were kind of different. Um, and so there was always a bit of a, um, of a feeling that I have to behave and like I have to be more proper than others maybe but in a sense I try to like get rid of that and my parents were also always really cool um telling me that I should do what I like and that if I find something that I like I will probably gonna be good at it yeah. and so I think you have to like get rid of that and see yourself I see myself as 30 and like right um so it's cool to have that last name obviously and it's it's a like the heritage of the brand is so cool but um there is I think more of a um, like it probably teaches you a lot of things on like how to how to be your own person and right. otherwise I, I assume that there would be a lot of pressure yeah or I, I, I can see how that how there would be pressure yeah I mean uh, I try I, to like just push it away I understand yeah I mean I, I, I can imagine uh, I mean you're a very in, in a loving way like a normal down-to-earth person and I think that, that that's really admirable I mean it, it's I can imagine again without without knowing your family really that, that there there might appear to be pressure from from our vantage point as, as outsiders but it seems like you've dealt with it you know kind of very well now, is there a plan for you to get more involved with the business or is that kind of a, another thing for for down the road i'm in the board now of porsche lifestyle group which sure. i think is a good fit yeah. um so obviously i care about architecture i care about design yeah. um i worked at porsche design for a while so i think that's a good fit i mean obviously if if there is if there is something cool to do i'd be more than more than happy to um but i will continue to to keep doing the things that I like. I'll for sure not say goodbye to architecture because I think it's a cool, cool place to be. And I, I love the office. And so, yeah, let's see, let's see where the road uh, takes me in, the, in that regard. Amazing. Pretty Porsche. Porsche. Pretty Porsche, not Porsche. Porsche Get that right. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Can't, can't thank, thank you enough, Julie. This, this was a treat. Thank you very much.